before a golden, tinkling display of mechanized, electronic... First-nighters, packed earmuff to earmuff, jostled in wonderment before a golden, tinkling display of mechanized, electronic joy. Christmas gifts, the Red Rider 200-shot range model air rifle. And there he is, Red Rider himself. In his hand was the knurled stock of as coolly deadly-looking a piece of weaponry as ever I had laid eyes on. I had been scheming to get my mitts on one of these fearsome blue steel beauties. My fevered brain seethed with the effort of trying to come up with the infinitely subtle devices necessary to implant the Red Rider range model air rifle indelibly into my parents' subconscious. Oh, I want a Red Rider. Carbine action, 200-shot air rifle. If, but things were that simple where you could just tell everybody exactly what you wanted. And if, if those things actually made you completely satisfied and happy. We're continuing our sermon series, Christmas at the Movies, with one of those movies that many of us have seen over the years. And some of us are, are a couple of years older than others. But do you remember there used to be the Sears or the JCPenney catalogs? And, and it, was, it was actually, it was very interesting. And so I, since we're, we're kind of past that generation, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell some secrets today, dispel some rumors, and let you all in on some truths. Parents used to leave those out for their children to circle what they wanted in that catalog. At the same time, kids were thinking, if I circle this, mom and dad will know what I really want for Christmas. And so it was a, this two-way non spoken word between the Sears and Roebuck and the J.C. Penney or even the Montgomery Wards. Anybody remember them? The Montgomery Ward catalogs. And, and, and in those, you actually could get all three of those actually could get you a Red Ryder BB gun. Anybody have one of those? I do have one of those things. And uh, um, uh, I've, I've had a couple of them over the years. I still have one uh, that I keep in my house that is uh, uh, nearby the bed there. It, it could be replaced um, with a tactical 12-gauge shotgun. I've, I've, I've asked for this for many years now, but I don't have a catalog to circle it anymore. So just put that out there. She's sitting over here uh, on that side if you need to know that, right? Nonetheless, though, we, we look for these things, and this is kind of what Christmas is all about for, uh, for us, is that we, we, we say, if I only had, if I could just have, there it is, the quintessential, if I could just put this in the mind of someone who could get this for me, that would somehow make me happy. That would somehow satisfy me. That would somehow fulfill all of my needs, is if I wait until the one day of the year by which all needs are fulfilled, that we get the gifts that we're supposed to get. If I, if I only knew what those things were, and if someone who could, could make that happen for me, could do that, all would be satisfied. And for whatever reason, we seem to put all of our eggs of happiness and satisfaction and joy into something that does not belong to us, that we want to have given to us so that it can make us happy. And we do that across the board in a lot of things. And we don't just reserve that for Christmas. We, we do that in all kinds of ways. And you kind of have that whole idea, if only I had, or if only I could get, or if only someone could give to me, then I would suddenly be happy. 
And we do this with a lot of what God gives to us. A lot of the provisions that God provides for us are our daily bread as, as Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, give us this day our daily bread. It, it seemed like they would sometimes pray under their breath after that, give us this day our daily bread, and then all the other stuff that we really want because that's really what's going to make us happy. Not the things that we need, but all these other things. And we do that in all kinds of ways in our own life. And we catch ourselves having this high want and this low fulfillment, and it just continues on and on and on and on, and we're not ever really satisfied with what we get. And, and who can tell me all the gifts they got last year for Christmas or the year for that? Yeah, it's easy when there was nothing, right? Okay, Because you know, those of you who raised your hands, I know you. You were on the naughty list, so I'm not surprised by that. But, you, but it, it, it's interesting because we can't, we can't remember those things. We might remember those really special gifts every once in a while, we, we might have some of those, but some of those things that we think that we want, those things that we circled in the catalogs, those things that are in our, our, our browser history, whatever it may be, that we can go back and look and say, even if we got all those things, they're probably not going to satisfy us. And that's one of the great challenges of a time of year where, where we make it about giving instead of about receiving. And I know you're probably thinking, boy, that's all messed up. Hang on. I thought we were, it was better to give than to receive. Well, here's the thing. We have received the greatest gift of all kind, and that was Jesus Christ. And we celebrate his birth this time of year, but we, we, it's not hard for us to kind of skew off a little bit and say, yeah, this Jesus thing's pretty cool. We celebrate his birth, but it, isn't it really about getting a Red Ryder 200-shot air rifle? Because that, that right there is exactly what I want. And even if you've seen this film, you know that there's this common theme behind that. Everybody keeps telling this kid, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. They keep warning him that even if you think you're going to be satisfied with this gift, even if you think this is going to make you happy, it's going to harm you in the end. It, it, you're, you're going to be the object of your own destruction here. But if we were to give this to you as, as parents or, or as grandparents, whatever, if we were to give you this gift and it would satisfy you only to watch you turn around and harm yourself, which if you see the movie, spoiler alert, he does later on get a ricochet and it, it cracks one of his glasses, right? And then what happened after that? He, he wasn't so excited about the Red Ryder BB gun anymore because they were right. You'll shoot your eye out. This morning, I, I want to bring us to a very familiar passage of, of Scripture that we've read before, the story about the prodigal son. And we're not going to read all of it. We are going to read some of this this morning. So if you have your Bible, I would encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 11 through 24 together. And the story of the prodigal son, I'm going to kind of summarize it a little bit, but then we're going to look at the scripture. The story of the prodigal son is very similar to where, what we are when we have just the life's catalog is laying out. We have all these things that we want to circle and say, if I only had this, if I only had this, this would satisfy me, this would make me happy. And so there was a man who had two sons, and one of them was working on the farm and doing everything he's supposed to, and the other one was a little discontent with his life. And he goes to his father and he says, give me my inheritance so that I can go out and live how I want to. Give me the Red Ryder 200-shot air rifle so that it will satisfy me so I can go do what I want to do and be completely happy with everything. Give me that and I'll go on. And we see where trouble befalls him because it doesn't satisfy him. But a lot of reasons are behind this. And so let's read this together uh, as, as we go through this passage of Scripture. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 24. And he said, this being Jesus, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. We can all probably relate to that, can't we? First paycheck, woohoo! Let's get in debt, right? Verse 14, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Pay attention to this because this is big. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. And let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found and they began to celebrate. Let's pray together. 
Father, as we look at this um, familiar passage of Scripture for so many of us, Lord, I pray that, that, that we don't just look for new things and new epiphanies, but we see what is truly being said here, that it was true then, it's true now, it's going to be true in a thousand years from now. But God, I pray more than anything that what we see is, is both the Son's heart to do what He wanted to do and the Father's heart to love His Son unconditionally, that we would understand that in a real way this morning. And so as we have a, a, a time here where we watch these movie clips and we talk about these things. Father, reveal your story that's way deeper and better than any movie can put together. The story of how we are all separated from you for a time, but you found a way to bring us back and you welcomed us with open arms. Be with us as we study this morning. In Christ's name, amen. The story of the prodigal son is one that we're familiar with, and, and if you continue to read on the story, you'll, you'll see that there is some discourse with the other son as well. But throughout this, what we see with this prodigal son is that, that he is desiring something that actually is not his at the time. He wants his inheritance that will become his at some time, but it belongs to his father. And he goes to his father and he says, let's circumvent the process. I want what will be mine one day because that will make me happy now. I don't want to wait later. I want to be satisfied and happy and live my life right now. And his father Probably knowing exactly what was going to happen, he decided to give his son his request. Now, I'm not going to blame the father for that. I'm not going to say that he led him into temptation. I'm not going to say that he's the reason for that because he had raised his son and he had taught him to do what was right and what was wrong. And his son chose not to do that. He was old enough to be able to make those decisions for himself. And yet he asked for something that didn't belong to him so he can go out and make that Make, and have that make him happy, which is exactly what we do so many times. We ask for God to bless us. We ask for God to lavish upon us the riches of the, of the world, seemingly, and we ask him to help those things to make us satisfied so we can do what we want to do, so we can live a happy, nice, meaningful, joyful life. And there's actually nothing wrong with that as long as we recognize that it never was ours to, be, to begin with, but it came from God, and God gave it to us so that we might use it for his glory. He's told us over and over again that, there, that you should have no other gods before me, and that includes the riches of this world and all the things that money can buy and everything else. He's told us that I'll never leave you or forsake you, but how many times when we look at that passage of Scripture or we look at that in our own lives, we, he didn't leave us or forsake us. We were the ones who took what we thought was ours and owed to us and went and did our own thing. And that's this prodigal son. That's what he's done. He said, I want the, something that's not mine yet now, so I can go do what I want to go do, so I don't have to live under your rules, so I don't have to make the decisions anymore, so I don't have to listen to you anymore, so I can go do what I think. You see, you hear all the eyes in there? I, 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 I want this, and the Father gave that to him, and I don't fault him for that at all. Because if you've raised teenagers or you've raised young adults or you're at that place, you know, sometimes the best thing you can possibly do is give them exactly what they're asking for. And they're going to fail miserably. And they're going to fall down, and you're going to have to pick them up, you're going to have to dust them off, you're going to have to cut them loose. Now, those are choices that we make. And sure enough, the prodigal son, it says that when he got to the new country, he spent everything. Now, look, there's two different things going on here. First of all, he was a terrible steward with his resources that his father had given him. He had spent everything, and then the famine happened. So the famine is not the cause for his, for his, his, his misery. It's his own foolish decisions that are there. He was dead broke before the famine. And so even if there wasn't a famine, he was going to have issues because he wasn't prepared to do something with something that didn't belong to him. He literally was going to shoot his eye out, just as we're going to see Ralphie, right? And so he, now he has this famine, and he longs to do something that he'd never really done ever in his past. He goes, I'm going to go out, I'm going to find work. And the only work he could find was with the pigs. And we can get in that whole discourse there. Was he Jewish, not Jewish? He's working with pigs, he's feeding pigs. Regardless, if you've ever been around pigs, it's not a fun job to go out and slop hogs. I mean, yeah, maybe a show pig, he might be a little bit better. But I'm telling you, these were not show pigs. This was not the FFA barn. You, you wanted to be upwind of this place, all right? Anybody ever been to Dalhart, Texas? If you've ever been on the south side of that and you smell that, all the farmers tell you that's the smell of money. All the rest of us know that, that ain't money. Okay? So he goes to slop hogs and he gets to, to a point where he says, man, I'm so hungry. Now I want what the pigs have. I wanted what my dad had and I asked him to give it to me and he did. And now I want what the pigs have. And the scripture goes on to say, and nobody would give him anything. Boy, how quickly all those things that don't belong to him dissatisfy, and now he wants even more that doesn't belong to him, and nobody gives him that. 
And so what choice does he have left? I'm dirty, I'm poor, I'm in a foreign land, I'm hungry, I can't get work, nobody has any compassion for me, I'm going to go back to my father, I'm going to lay myself down and throw myself at his mercy and say, I've sinned against you, will you take me back so I can be one of your servants? The kid learned some humility somewhere in there, and he says, listen, I know that, that what you gave me I squandered and I shouldn't have given it to me. He didn't blame his dad. I've got to be honest with you, I probably would have. Hey, Dad, this is your fault. You shouldn't have let me make bad decisions. Any, any parents out there like that? Any kids out there like that? I got news for you. Sometimes no is the absolute best answer in the entire world, but sometimes yes is the right answer too because you have to learn. I got a sweet text from my daughter yesterday. Hey, Mom and Dad, thanks for teaching me to make decisions on my own. I was in the car with a friend, and her mom called, and it was over the speakerphone. It was the most seemingly simple thing, and her mom bent over backwards to do all these things, and I just looked at her and said, you're going to let your mom do that for you? She goes, yeah, that's my mom. That's what she's there for. And my, my daughter sent me a text and said, Dad, thanks for not doing everything for me. I said, no problem. I can keep doing that for years. <laughs> We're on the same wavelength here, right? And so he goes back to his father's house, and he asks him, can I be a servant for you? And his father says, get up, clean him up, put a robe on him, put a ring on his finger, kill the fatted calf who once was dead is now alive. Let's celebrate. Oh, that it were that simple, right? When we look at the story of the prodigal son, we all can identify with that. That is absolutely one of the greatest common ground conversations we can ever have with anybody, is that we've all been to that place where we've tried to get something that didn't belong to us, and we thought that would make us happy. And then when that didn't work out, we looked and looked and looked, and we got down to rock bottom. And for some of us, rock bottom was a little higher than others, and for others, it was with the pigs desiring for their food. And trying to move forward. Now for Ralphie here, he is looking for that Red Rider BB gun. Something he doesn't have and he wants that and he thinks that is the answer to all of his problems. Because that's just going to satisfy him and make him absolutely happy. But that's not the case at all. And so then we're going to see him act like the prodigal son in so many different ways. So I want you to watch this next clip and then we're going to talk about that as well. You're full of beans and so is your old man. Oh yeah. Yeah. Says who? Says me. Oh yeah. Yeah. The exact exchange and nuance of phrase in this ritual is very important. <laughs> Are you kidding? Stick my tongue to that stupid pole that's dumb. That's because you know it'll stick. You're full of it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Like double dog dare you. Now it was serious. A double dog dare. What else was left but a triple dare you? And finally, the coup de grace of all dares, the sinister triple really dog dumb. dare. I triple dog dare you. Hmm. Schwartz created a slight breach of etiquette by skipping the triple dare and going right for the throat. All right, all right. Flick's spine stiffened, his lips curled in a defiant sneer. There was no going back now. an etiquette. A triple dog dare you. I think the best part of that entire clip was listening to Russell recite it from memory behind me. It was, it was really great there. The triple dog dare, right? I mean, it, you, you kind of watch that progression of them. I dare you. I double dare you. Then I was supposed to double dog dare you. And then I was supposed to triple dare you. And then I was supposed to triple dog dare you. And you see this progression of stupidity kind of walk. Uh, 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 ladies, if you've ever watched men try to do things, you know, together in a group, it's kind of like that, right? They're just kind of one-upping all the way up there until finally you have to call the fire department, which in my mind has always been a good party, by the way. So, um, But what we see here, and we relate this back to, to, to the prodigal son, is simply this. Pride can make you do some really dumb things. And actually, pride can't make you do anything. Pride can convince you to do some dumb things and think that it's a good idea. And usually behind every really bad decision, there's someone behind you going, you can do it, buddy, you can do it, right? 
And in this case with the prodigal son, he found himself all alone because when the money ran out, so did all the friendships. So did all the people who were around him. You know, when the money was gone, now it's like, what am I going to do? Can I go back to these people that I was supporting this and doing this? And in, our, in our, our episode here, we just see that pride is such a powerful tool that allows us, encourages us, pushes us toward making a series of bad decisions. And it, it only magnifies when others are in the middle of that, encouraging you to continue to make those bad decisions. And, and you see there, uh, most of the time, pride doesn't have... Uh, the evidence like the bandage on the tongue like this little boy did. But it's all over us and usually in bad ways. It's in our demeanor. It's in our very spirit sometimes of how pride has talked us into making some very bad decisions, just like this prodigal son who said, I'm old enough, I'm smart enough, I'm able to do this on my own, I want what's deserved to me, Father, I'm going to go do my thing. This prodigal son had so much pride that motivated him to go and make bad decisions that he acted upon that. Now, we cut the clip and moved it someplace else, but what was really interesting, if if you've seen this film, is that as soon as the school bell rang, everybody left except for the kid that was stuck to the pole. Everybody was gone. And it wasn't until the fire truck showed up that they all hurried to the window to look outside to see what's going on. And when we find ourselves in prideful situations where we make bad decisions, it's not uncommon for us to have walked away and everybody let us go over there by ourselves and just make our own bad decisions. Sometimes it's a matter of they truly don't care about you. We've got to be honest about that. Other times it's a matter of I can't help that person because they're not going to listen to me anyway. And then finally, the other, the other reason behind that is, look, that person's pride got them into this mess. That person can deal with their own pride to get themselves out of this mess. And I got to tell you something, as a Christ follower, we should never let them do that. And we have to endure a lot of people's prides a lot of time. They have to endure ours too. Because we're very prideful people by and large. And when someone makes a prideful decision that harms them and harms others, we have to really pay attention to them. And usually that is a cry out for other things that are going on in their life. We can see that in the prodigal son. He's prideful for a lot of reasons. We don't know all the backstory there. But he's so prideful that the only way he's going to get this out, of this out of his system is to go ahead and make that bad decision and his dad's letting him do it. And again, I'm not going to fault his parenting. I know there's been some times in my kid's life where I look at him and I just go, oh my gosh, this is bad. I've talked to my own dad, and I've told you before, he's told me over and over again, watching me grow up was like stupid and slow motion. He just couldn't get to me fast enough to help me to stop from making a bad decision. And I know my dad loves me, and I love my children. There's just some things they're going to have to learn on their own. And I'm, I'm not saying pragmatism is the best way to learn, because it's really not. It's painful, and it hurts, and it costs a lot of money, Okay. But sometimes you, you have to allow people's prides to move forward. But what you also have to do is be there to pick them up when they fall down and put them back together and deal with their nonsense. Ralphie did not do that. And the little boy comes back in, and it wasn't just the bandage on his tongue that hurt him. It was his pride. He was wrong. He got talked into it, dared into it. He made a bad decision, and pride was there. And he walked in with the bandage on his tongue and shame all over his face. We do that all the time. And to be honest with you, it may be better for some of us to have our tongues bandaged because then we can't say some of the things that we ought not be saying anyway. We might be a little bit better off. The prodigal son teaches us a lot of different stories. And I want us to watch this next clip and see what we can learn from Ralphie and the prodigal son. Weeks of drinking gallons of Ovaltine in order to get the Ovaltine inner seal to send off for my little orphan Annie's secret decoder pen was about to pay off. I got it. Master Ralph Parker, my decoder pen. Be it known to all and sundry that Ralph Parker is hereby appointed a member of the little orphan Annie secret circle and is entitled to all the honors and benefits occurring there too. Signed, little orphan Annie. Countersign Pierre Andre in ink. Honors and benefits already at the age of nine. Let's see tomorrow night for the concluding adventure of the Black Pirate Ship. Now it's time for Annie's secret message for you members of the Secret Circle. Remember, kids, only members of Annie's Secret Circle can decode Annie's secret message. Remember, Annie is depending on you. Set your pins to B2. Here is the message. 12, 11. I am in my first secret meeting. 
seconds later, I'm in the only room in the house where a boy of nine could sit in privacy and decode. <laughs> Aha, B. <laughs> I went to the next. E. The first word is B. T. O. Be sure to. Be sure to what? What was the little orphan Annie trying to say? Be sure to what? My fingers flew. My mind was a steel trap. Every pore vibrated. It was almost clear. Yes, 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 yes. Be sure to drink your Ovaltine. Ovaltine? A crummy commercial? I went out to face the world again. Wiser. Oh, I, I need to do a little translating here. For those of you under the age of probably 15, Ovaltine is a powdery drink that it's kind of like uh, chocolate milk mix. It, it was terrible, not going to lie, but it, it had a lot of vitamins and minerals, and this is a big riboflavin thing that was going on back in the, the, the 50s and 60s and all that stuff. Uh, I could get into conspiracy theories, but that's a sermon for another day. Uh, but, but kids would drink this, and you get, you'd send in the UPCs, and you would send them off in the mail, and you would get a, a secret decoder pen. There was no internet at the time, just so you younger kids know that, too. And then that thing that he was listening to, that's called a radio. <laughs> and, uh, and they used to listen to those, and they used to have these shows that would be on, and there were certain times of the week and at night and stuff, and you listen to that. They, they might have had a TV, but there weren't very many shows, which was a real blessing, by the way. And you just listened to things, and people actually listened. It was amazing. They listened, they heard, they, they used their imaginations. I mean, it was, it was an amazing time. And, and Ralphie here, he was all about, you know, drinking the Ovaltine, and it was a good way to get kids to drink the Ovaltine was to do that. Now, last night at the um, uh, White Elephant Party at my house, we had a similar incident with some Nesquik. And, uh, and, and there was some taking of some Nesquik, uh, and there was, there was a, um, what was the last scene there? He, he went back into the world wiser. And there was a gentleman who was wiser by giving the Ovaltine back to the, to the young family that had a small child. And so I just, I just, I just want to tell you how proud I am of, of, of Chris for doing that, uh, of, of giving that back. And, uh, and, and I see the young man is, is drinking his Ovaltine, I'm sure. Hey, we laugh about those sort of things. And, we, and, and, and at the very end, he just said, Oval, drink your Ovaltine, a crummy commercial. And we buy into the lies that a lot of this advertising does to us. Now, advertising, by and large, is a good thing. It can have its, its moments. But we have to be smart about what's being advertised to us and what we're being asked to do and what we're being perpetuated to do. Now, I don't want to go so far as to say that we're trained, but we're trained. That's just the bottom line. We, we walk into stores and we turn a certain direction. If you didn't know that, 92% of Americans actually turn right as soon as they walk into the store. We've been programmed to do that over the years because marketers have taught us and our architects have got together and they've designed things. And so this is just kind of how things are. We, we're we're, we're uh, prone to look for the better product, not the good or the best one. We're prone for the better product. And so if you see three of a similar product, you're going to move more towards best, better, good. And that's why you often see prices are in a high, low range and you stay in the middle. You, you also may not know this too, but if you ever look at your gas tank, empty is always on the left and full is always on the right. The red light's always on the left and, and the green light's always on the right. That's backwards for you, but for me, it makes total sense. And so we associate left with negative, meaning being, you know, uh, empty or full or stop, and right being positive or go. And so you're actually conditioned and trained that way. I don't know if you knew that at all. But when you have all these other things that are coming in your mind and in your, in your heart and you're just being exposed to this all the time, it's very easy for you to, to, to follow the arrogant road. It's very easy for you to say that I'm inside this special club now. And that's what Ralphie did, right? He got inside this special club because he fulfilled all the requirements that were supposed to be there. He got his, his secret decoder ring, and he tuned in because he listened. They had him by that point. They had him hooked, and he listened to it, and he got to the message, and he was totally disappointed by the message that was out there. And for our prodigal son, what he probably heard was, I need money, I need wealth, I need status, I need freedom, I need to do my own thing. And so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to do that because this is what the world standard says is successful. Unfortunately, it, he ran out of money. 
because he made bad decisions trying to keep up with the rest of the world, which we all do in some area of our life somewhere or the other. We all have, have a certain niche that we want to be a part of. We want to be in the club. We want to be a part of something nobody else is. And it's actually part of that FOMO, right, that fear of missing out. The younger kids understood that. Older people, fear of missing out is an acronym, FOMO, right? And we do that, and we play on that. Even now, like I was watching a show the other day that um, there was a guy who had a gas station in the middle of the desert. And, and it said, next gas, 103 miles away. And they looked at it, and, they, and he says, listen, Yuma's only 74 miles away. And he goes, wait a minute. She said, next gas is, is 103. He goes, yes, because I get everybody with a half tank stops here. He lies to them, right? They're afraid of missing out. They're afraid of running out of gas, but they're afraid of missing out. And we do that all the time. We, we, we hear all these different messages that are out there that there's this, there's this scarcity. We better get it now. We better get it now. We better get it now. I don't know if you know this, but I'm going to go and mess with you a little bit now. There were six fewer shopping days this year between Thanksgiving and Christmas than we've had in the last seven years. And so if you haven't got your Christmas shopping done, oh, my goodness, you better get on it now, right? Do you, do you feel this anxiety? This is not the way Christmas is supposed to be, by the way. It doesn't have to be this way. But we all want to be inside this secret club because here in a matter of a couple of days, and maybe even today when you leave church, you might have a conversation with somebody, and you're going to ask you to get all your Christmas shopping done. And one of you, I guarantee you, is going to go, huh, I sure have. I'm in the club. I got all mine done. I'm an elite. I'm better than the rest of you. Now, I have a sense of pride about getting all my shopping done, too, but it's usually because I've just said, I, I give up. Everybody's getting gift cards. It's an easy one. The prodigal son had this arrogance about him, and he thought that he was better off alone by himself, not having everybody else play in his world, and it showed up to be nothing more than a crummy commercial. This is what Ralphie experienced, too. And so anytime you look and you say, hey, listen, if I'm alone or I'm by myself or I'm elite or I'm the only one out there, I want to just really caution you that one of the greatest tactics that the enemy has is to get you by yourself, is to get you away from you know, when Jesus tells a story of the one sheep that left the 99, what we learn from that about the eastern shepherd is that the shepherd said, I'm going to leave these 99 because they're fine together. I'm going to go after the one because I love and I care for the one. But what we also hear, too, is that the shepherd would oftentimes break the legs of the sheep, throw him over his shoulder so he could talk to him, and the sheep can hear his voice, and, his, and the sheep would know him. Now, listen, if he doesn't have broke legs, then he's not going to hear that. He wasn't listening very good beforehand. And sometimes we have to get broken down before we begin to listen to the voice of the Father. And if I could stop that from happening to you, if I could stop that from your world, I'd do that. If I could stop that from happening in my world, I'd do that too. But one of the greatest ways for that to happen is to get yourself isolated and disconnected and make yourself a leader better from or separate from everybody else. And that has all kinds of different ways. Sometimes it's as much as saying I'm better than everybody else. And other times it's my problems are so bad, nobody would want to deal with me either. They're both separated and isolated and pulled apart. And that's one of the great pride, arrogant things that the prodigal son dealt with. And look where it got him, longing to eat with the pigs. Ralphie here is having these same issues. His friends are having these same issues. Pride is something that is ingrained in the human, in the human uh, spirit. It's, it's part of the fallenness of this world and we're going to have to deal with. But there are a couple of things that maybe we should talk about a little bit further. So I want you to watch this, this next clip. And let's see what else we can learn from this. of my brain, a tiny red-hot little flame began to grow. <laughs> Something had happened. A fuse blew, and I had gone out of my skull. You fucking damn nipple! Chris! I have since heard of people under extreme duress speaking in strange tongues. I became conscious that a steady torrent of obscenities and swearing of all kinds was pouring out of me as I screamed. Ralphie! 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 Ralph
on. We're going home. Come on. Settle down. Okay. I want you to go in there and lie down in your room for a while. Ralphie, just settle down. Here, dry off. Calm down. All right? Now go lie down. light was getting purple and soft outside. Almost time for my father to come home from work. Randy! Hi. What's the matter? What you crying for? Daddy's gonna kill Ralphie! Oh, no, he's not. Yes, he is, too! No, he's not. I promise you... Daddy is not going to kill Ralphie. I heard the car roar up the driveway, and a wave of terror broke over me. He'll know what I said, the awful things that I said. Yeah, so what else happened today? Oh, nothing much. Uh, Ralphie had a fight. A fight? What kind of a fight? Oh, you know how boys are. I, uh... Give him a talking to. I, I see that uh, the Bears are playing Green Bay on Sunday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Zudok's got tickets. I wish I had. <laughs> oh, well, he freezes Keystraw off out there. I slowly began to realize I was not about to be destroyed. The Chicago Bears. <laughs> Terror of the Midway. Oh, what a life. From then on, things were different Chicago between me and my mother. Well, more like Chicago Chipmunks, baby. <laughs> oh. First of all, I don't advocate that sort of violence, and I'm concerned about all of you that laughed uh, at some of those things. I'm also concerned that the mother just picked her child up and left the one kid bleeding in the snow. That, that's, that's, that's some other issues that are out there, right? Um, yeah. From then on, things were going to be different. Now, I want us to understand that, that this really actually strikes to the heart of a lot of things between the prodigal son and his father. He loved his son. He loved his father. He gave him what he wanted. He went out and made some bad decisions, got himself in a really bad spot, comes crawling back to his dad, lays down at his feet, asks him to just be a servant. Father says, no, you're not going to do that. I'm going to elevate you back to the same level that you were. I'm going to put a robe on you. I'm going to kill the fatted calf. I'm going to put a ring on you. You are my son, but things are different now. And so many times in our lives, we look at these relationships, especially those that are close to us. I mean, even the little brother was so worried that dad's going to kill Ralphie. Things were going to be different from there. And then mom looked at him. When she looked at her little boy, after she pulls him off the top of beating the tar out of another little boy, she looks at him, and Ralphie just has this look that he's no longer the innocent little boy anymore. He now has knowledge that he didn't have previous to this, that he has the ability to harm and to hurt, and that mom is always going to be there, but things are now different between us. And that is the exact relationship between the creator God and his creation, us. And so when we break and violate God's law, we're separated from that. Things are different. That's what happened in the garden. That's what happens every time we willfully disobey God's commands and we, we break his heart. But he loves us so much that he brings us back in and he puts a, a robe on us and a ring on our finger and he kills a fatted calf and he celebrates in our return. And he wants that for us. He wants to redeem us and make us whole. Now, I don't advocate mom lying to dad, but sometimes, let's be honest, moms especially, your kids have done some things that it's safer for them not for dad not to have all the information, right? It really is. And vice versa, too. Five foot four mother of mine, I'm still scared to death of her. You know, these meals around Thanksgiving and Christmas are actually the anxiety is called by. You remember when I was 12, whenever, and those stories come out. Are y'all the only ones with that? I remember several years ago, we got to the bottom of the blueberry stains on the, root, on the ceiling of the hallway. That was a 25-year-old secret, <clears throat> and it finally got to the bottom of that. Things are different once we see people in their sinful nature, once we see people at their very rock bottom, things are different. But when God looks at us, things are absolutely different because he doesn't want to look at us as his sinful, separated creation. He wants to look at us as his children, those that he sent his son to die for. 
that are fully redeemed, that are still making mistakes. And until God completely redeems them, gives them a new body, and we're all forever in heaven and glory with him, until that day happens, we're still going to be prone to our sin nature, and we're going to fight that over and over again. But nothing changes about the nature of God. And so while things are different, they can be different in a very positive way too. When God said to Adam and Eve, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because when you do, you will have knowledge of good and evil, and you will know death. You will understand these things. And it wasn't that God was just trying to hoard and keep that to himself. He was trying to protect us from having that knowledge. And once they had that knowledge, things were different. They were not going to be the same anymore. Now, Ralphie and his mom probably had a much different relationship. But we see this again with the prodigal son and his father, that the relationship did change. And if you read the rest of the story, you're going to see the one son said, I did everything I was supposed to do, but you never did any of these things for me because that relationship didn't change. But he said, you always had access to everything that was in my kingdom. Why would you ever want to go looking for something else? If nothing else, I hope you learned from your brother's bad decisions. You always had access. Things were going to be different. And I hope we can see that sometimes. And I hope that if, you, if, if right now your relationship with God is in a different place, it doesn't have to be. It can, in fact, be different. Because here's the thing. Unlike Ralphie's dad, God knows absolutely everything that's going on in your life. And despite that, he still loves you, desires you, wants to be a part of your life, and wants to bring you back into him. I don't know about you, but that's worth it. That makes up for every bad decision I've ever made and will yet to make going forward is that there's a God who loves me and knows everything about me. Well, if God knew me, he wouldn't want anything to do with me. Here's the worst thing about that. He does know you, and you're a terrible person. You're the worst. And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And I don't care about all those things. And I sent my son to bleed and to die and to conquer death for you despite all those things. That is the message of Christmas. When Jesus was born that night to the shepherds and they went into the city and they pronounced what the angels had told them, everything was different from that day forward because the last thing the angels said to them was, behold, unto you a Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. Everything's going to be different. I don't know about you, but I can handle a little different every now and then. I actually like a little different every now and then. It's good for me not to be in some of those same routines. And i got to tell you something about sin. There is a cycle of sin that keeps us in a routine over and over and over and over again. That, to me, is one of the greatest reasons why there was only one reason for Jesus to die, and he only did it once, because it was enough. Things can be different, and I hope this Christmas season we have an opportunity to see that. I want to close today by watching one last clip and help us to understand a little bit more about God's love for each and every one of us and what we can learn from Ralphie as well. Be careful, Ralphie! Now it is well known throughout the Midwest that the old man is a turkey junkie. <laughs> a bona fide golly turkakanas freak. A few days before Christmas, his eyes would begin to gleam with a wild and ravenous light. Ah, life is like that. Sometimes at the height of our revelries, when our joy is at its zenith, when all is most right with the world, the most unthinkable disasters descend upon us. Heavenly aroma still hung heavy in the house, but it was gone, all gone. No turkey, no turkey sandwiches, no turkey salad, no turkey gravy, turkey hash, turkey a la king, or gallons of turkey soup. Gone, all gone. <laughs> all right, everybody upstairs, get dressed. We are going out to eat. If you, if you watch the rest of that clip, you're going to see that they find themselves in the only place open on Christmas, the Chinese restaurant, and they, they get a duck brought out to them with the head still on, and mom's freaking out, not really sure what to do there, and then the guy cuts the head, and, and, and they all laugh about this. 
But I love that quote where dad's sitting there reading the newspaper. Now, first of all, I don't know about you, but I can't help myself when I see some really crazy things in movies. I'm like, that's not possible. Like Mythbusters, great show for me to watch because I'm all over that. Why do you have the screen door open in the wintertime? Exactly. I, don't, I don't understand that at all. I, I, don't, I don't get that. You know. Nonetheless, I digress. I'm so sorry about that. It's just bothering me. Like, close the whole door, right? But the, the, the smell of turkey permeated. Apparently, the bird dogs got in. They opened the door. They ate all of Dad's turkey. He was a connoisseur of turkey. There was going to be no turkey a la king, no turkey soup. Christmas is essentially ruined now because the, the, the turkey dinner is gone. It's done. It's over with. Cancel Christmas. Pile up. We're about to witness the greatest meltdown in family history because Dad's turkey is done. Now, I don't know about you, but, but do y'all ever have those events in your homes, especially around high-stress times, like, I don't know, the holidays, where one little thing happens and somebody just goes from zero to nuclear, just out of no, and the rest of the family can't quite figure that out, and you don't know what's been, what stress has been piling up and what's going on, and that person lashes out in such a way, and they're just absolutely crazy, and then you look at them, and they're going crazy, because let's face it, I mean, the turkey's gone, dad you know, he worked hard. That was a lot of money that was out there. And you, you should probably expect he's going to explode a little bit. I know my kids sometimes, they know that when dad gets really, really quiet and calm, it is a good idea to have a large blast radius because bad things are about to happen. Uh, I, when I get that way, I begin to calm myself because I'm looking for the weakness to exploit and then boom. I know that about myself. It's not a very endearing quality. So if I ever get really calm with you, I just want to warn you now, all right? But he had every right to explode, just like the father did when his son comes running up. Like, what do you want now? More money? Oh, my goodness. Did you make a failure of yourself like I told you you were going to? Oh, look at you. You smell awful, son. You should go clean yourself up before you come back to my house. There's no way I'm going to let you back into my house, having to act the way you did, live the way you did, and coming back in here. Aren't we glad we don't have a father like that who loves us even more than that? I mean, I love that quote up there where he says, sometimes at the height of our revelries, when our joy is at its zenith, when all is most right with the world, the most unthinkable of disasters descends upon us. It's almost like this is what you get for having it right. It's, it's, like, it's that calmness when your kids go upstairs and all of a sudden it gets really quiet. They've got their gifts. Everybody's been fed. The dog's been fed. There's no, nothing's on fire all the kids are upstairs and all of a sudden it gets really quiet and you're just waiting for the horrific scream and you just, you just know it's going to look like a murder scene when you walk up the stairs because it got so quiet and all of a sudden boom, right? Y'all have been there, haven't you, some of you? It's that quietness right at the zenith where everything is going right. It just seems like it just descends upon us. Hey, I got news for you. This world is designed to destroy us, to harm us to not build us up, to not make us all that we possibly can. This whole best life now nonsense, I'm just going to be fair with you for a second. There is no best life now outside of Christ. And that life is only given to us because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so the best life we could possibly have is we endure this life on earth, knowing that there's a Father who loves us, who takes us in exactly how we are, and has open arms for us. It actually, for the very first time, the only time you'll see in Scripture, it says the Father ran out to embrace his Son. And he ran, seeing him at a distance, because in his, in his own monologue, the prodigal son is saying, I'm going to get to my dad's house, I'm going to fall at his feet, I'm going to say, I'm not worthy, I've sinned against you, can I work for you, can I be one of your servants? He's got all these things going on internally in his own mind, and his dad sees him, and he makes a beeline running for him, and he runs for him with arms stretched out, that's a great picture of, of Jesus on the cross. He runs to him, grabs hold of him, and says, I love you, I'm so glad you're here. Life is like that sometimes, isn't it? At the very end, we see, we see dad kind of digress a little bit. He's not the angry, frustrated father anymore. And many of us look at God that way, and we think that he's this angry, omnipotent, distant God who's mad at us and just hates the world. He doesn't. He loves us. And bad things are happening to us in this world. He loves us, and he doesn't have to be that distant, and we need not approach him that way. Yes, we should approach the father reverently. Yes, we should approach him with, with love and respect. Yes, we should approach him with humility, but he's not so distant from us that he's going to shun us and push us away. Life is like that sometimes. We have this, this mindset, this concept of who God really is, and we don't know him at all. And a lot of the reasons we don't know him at all because we've chosen to believe that he's something other than what he is. Mean, upset, angry, frustrated that things aren't going his way. Yeah, he's those things. He's got reason to be. But all that is hidden inside that we don't see sometimes that he loves us and wants better for us than what we want for ourselves. 
prodigal son said, I just want to be a servant again. He goes, no, you're my son. I want you to be my son again. I want you to come and be a part of the family. I want to fully restore you back to where you were before all this nonsense took place. That's the father I want. That's the life I want. That's who God wants us to be. And so this morning, I just want to encourage you as we continue on through our Christmas season and we think about all the good and the happy and the fun things, and we're doing some great things, by the way. Some of you are volunteering in different places. We, we volunteer with KCM. We've got uh, seven people, some Christmas gifts this year. We, I, I struck a deal this week. I say a deal. I talked to the, the counselor and said, listen, I know you've got a tree where some kids may need some, some gifts. If they're, if they're not all taken up by a certain day, you let me know. Our church is going to take care of that. We're not going to let a kid go without Christmas. It's not going to happen. And you don't even have to tell them who it's from. Some of you are doing some great things out there. And I know that feels good and your heart is warm, but the greatest thing you can possibly do is you can look your father right in the eye, especially in those days when he has every right to be angry and frustrated and mad about anything. And you can tell the story, just like Ralphie and his family did. They've got a memory of Christmas that nobody is ever going to be able to top. You remember that time all the dogs came in and destroyed the turkey and went to the Chinese restaurant? Boy, what's your story like? You remember that time when I looked at Christmas and I saw the birth of the Savior and I realized for the very first time that my father is not this angry, distant, mean person of a God, that he's personable and he desires to spend time with me and he sent his son so that I could be reconciled to him. Man, that's the greatest Christmas story we could ever tell, isn't it? It's the greatest Christmas story that anybody could ever tell. And so in the middle of all the hustle and the bustle and the shopping and the buying and the honking at horns and the people cutting you off and all these other things, just stop for a second and just realize life is like that sometimes. It gets busy. It gets crazy. But it doesn't have to be like that. Things can be different for you, just like Ralphie and his mom. They can be different for you too. And that comes through a new relationship or a renewed relationship with Jesus Christ. Probably one of the greatest things about the prodigal son is simply this. He knew the father from the very beginning. But he left him and walked away from us, and his father invited him to come back. And that's where some of you are today. That's where a lot of our community is today. They've, they've got a knowledge of God, but they don't know him fully. And that's where we need to find common ground with them. That's where we need to tell them the greatest Christmas story. It doesn't have to just be in December. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we love you. We bless you. We thank you, Lord, for the truth of your word and the prodigal son. And Father, we have all truly been there. And Lord, while we come up with our own plans to fix our own problems, I am grateful that you have a better solution than what we could ever possibly imagine. And so, Lord, as we laugh and we joke and we watch these, these clips from these movies, Father, let us not take away from the reverence of the truth of your scripture, that it was written for us long before these movies were ever thought of. Because you wanted us to see that there is no place that we can go, there's no depths that we can sink to that will separate us from your love. And that you do indeed love us and desire great and amazing things for us. So Father, as we continue to, to look at the Christmas season, I pray, Lord, that we would just have the right attitude, that we would see Jesus in all that we do, and we'd find ways to make a difference in someone's world. And it may not be an expensive gift. It may not be a fancy gift. It may not be a lot of gifts. It may not be a gift at all. It might be something far more precious and valuable. Be a hug or a smile or a word of encouragement just reminding people that we're all prodigals on some level and God is calling us back and he's welcoming us and he wants to put a robe on us, he wants to put a ring on our finger, he wants to kill the fatted calf and as the last verse said, he wants to celebrate with each and every one of us and so Father, we celebrate this Christmas knowing that we have been redeemed because of a miraculous birth so Lord, help us to keep that right in our hearts as we celebrate the rest of this season we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand with us. We're going to worship. If you have questions.